welcome to today's episode of This Much We Know. My name is Murphy Hopkins Hubbard and I'm joined today by my co-host Simon Pickering. This Much We Know is a podcast all about building social enterprise. We hope to share with you the good, the bad and the ugly. All of our learning and failures on developing impactful social enterprise, providing employment and training for those in need. We will be sharing with you a range of challenges, how to overcome them, and we're joined in each episode by a social entrepreneur sharing their stories, successes and favourite facepalm moments. In today's episode, we're lucky enough to be joined by Julius Ibrahim, founder of Second Shot Coffee and Homeless Link member. Let's hear what he had to say. For me, it's quite easy to kind of pinpoint where the Second Shot journey all started. I did a leadership academy in the summer before starting uni, which I don't know if you ever went to any of these like geek camps. It's like you go there for a residential for a couple of days, people from all across the country, and it was run by McKinsey's consultant. So there's lots of learning how to do issue trees and separate problems and prioritize things. And that was quite cool, which looking back, I ended up using lots of it. So it was actually really functional and really useful. The most impactful thing happened just randomly at a breakfast. So I was just sitting next to a lovely gent called Mark Corbett. And he was telling me all about the amazing stuff that he was doing or had done at university around social enterprise and working to tackle um, knife crime and gang violence in London and all of these different projects. I think at that time I, I, was, I was kind of conscious that I hadn't done much volunteering, but I had never heard of even the word social enterprise. And then I also thought that, you know, launching a business or launching a business with impact would be something that could happen way down the line. And then so it was really interesting to hear from Mark that this is something that he had done straight away at uni, be having real impact in real people's lives immediately. And so, yeah, that kind of that hit me. And day one, Freshers' Fair went and joined a society called Enactus. And Enactus is it's an organisation that brings together students, businesses and academics to launch social enterprises and social impact projects. So I joined Enactus UCL. I ran a consultancy project which again, looking back as a whole, it all kind of fits together. But you know, at the time, I was just going through it and picked the project that was most interesting to me. It's called Community Cafe. It was a three-month project where we consulted a local cafe that was in a community centre in Somerstown. And like every charity struggling with reduction in government funding, they had opened up this cafe in the hopes that it would generate the revenue for them to be able to do their services. But it was, it was struggling. So we went in there, we did like a three-month project and helped them start to break even and turn it around, which was amazing. And from there, I kind of rolled off straight on to becoming the president of Enactus UCL. And that's where my passion for social enterprise kind of just steamrolled, where now I was in a position where I was kind of facilitating and helping other students launch their own ideas and social enterprise and social impact projects. And... I love that. I love working with the project leaders and just kind of trying to analyze and forge the kind of the way forward for their projects. But what really was bugging me was that because I was in this facilitatory role, I wasn't doing any of the actual meat of the work, any of the execution. For lots of different reasons, we had a bunch of projects within homelessness that never really reached impact, which is super frustrating where people would spend a year or more working on an idea, setting up partnerships, then they'd graduate and a new project lead would come in and have a slightly different vision and you kind of start again. And for us at Enactus UCL, we, homelessness was always something that we really wanted to tackle where you see so much rough sleeping in Bloomsbury. Obviously in London, that story could have been the same at virtually any university. 
And then so that's when I just started to, to think, what could I do in this space and what could I do to kind of help? And that was kind of the starting point for me to think about second shot. What was the point where you're like, right, that's it. I'm going to go and do second shot and, and this is what we're going to do. Was there a moment where, did you sort of slide into it or is it a sort of cliff edge where you're like, right, that's it. We're going to do it. Yeah, a bit of both. So in my second year of university, I started working on the idea, doing a bit of research. And I was lucky that through an actress, I'd had contacts in homelessness charities in London and access to some great advice and, and people who had launched successful social enterprises in the past. And so I'd, I started that work. And again, it was an Enactus event that we hosted at UCL where one of our alumni, Johnny Hick, he was doing a speech and talking about how when you're at university is one of the best times to launch something because you don't have any real commitments. You have access to all the students and different societies and access to free space and all this other kind of support that you don't get as readily in the real world. And I remember leaving that event, walking home and being like, yeah, I'm going to do this now rather than wait a few years. From my experience in an actress, I knew that social enterprise would be the bulk of my life's work. But what I didn't want to do, getting in the trap of starting some kind of real job and then being like, I'll do that next year once I get this promotion or I'll do that. And just getting kind of stuck in the trap was my thinking. I called my dad. I was like, yep, I'm going to just see now. I'm going to leave this scholarship scheme. I'm not going to take this job offer and I'm going to leave and open up this cafe. At first it was like, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, you know, but he didn't really um, fully believe that I was committed to it. And then probably like a couple of months down the line, we went for lunch and I showed him the piece of work that I probably still am most proud of to this day, which is this beautiful flowing Gantt chart of all of the tasks that I thought were involved in getting it open and it got, I remember it like hit him. I was like, oh, you're serious about doing this then? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. But to be honest, it wasn't that much of a difficult decision for me because I, I felt in myself very sure that this was the right thing for me to do. Just picking up on that then. So you seem really confident now and sort of, you, you know, you've moved quite far into your venture and you, and it's fantastic. I, it's, I'm, I really am a big fan of Second Shot. But when you started out, sort of how confident were you on a sort of a scale of one to 10? Difficult question, I appreciate. But yeah, where were you on that scale? I would say I was level 10 confidence that I could pull it off and could and maybe level eight, whether I would be able to pull it off, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. My thought was, I'll take a year out, I'll get it open, it'll be an instant success and I'll go and finish my degree. Obviously, that didn't really work out like that. The first real big hurdle was getting the funding because this point now I'm a 20 year old student who doesn't have any proper real life work experience or contacts in the industry or a network of funding myself. So that was quite a challenge. And so when it comes to the confidence, I was like, I was always confident that if I could get it open, I could make it a success. And I was also confident that if I could get in front of the right person or people and to pitch the idea that... I would be able to convince them. But getting in front of those people was really difficult. And I would say like over the course of that year out, the confidence that I could do it was still 10, but the confidence whether it would happen was slowly with every cold email that doesn't get answered and different avenues that you're exploring and funding opportunities. That confidence definitely wavered a lot. That's really interesting, I think, that difference between could and would, sort of keeping your motivations there and, and knowing that the idea is, is really solid and what it could be is brilliant. 
definitely I think for listeners that struggle for funding and not quite knowing the network particularly for those coming in from similar angles to you that you know entrepreneurial can see an issue want to do something to solve it but haven't been within the sort of social sector space yeah definitely similar feelings from others we've had on the show too and so where you are now where would you say you are compared to then second shot how it's going the impact that you make you know how it will be moving forward definitely more realistic now I would say seven or eight, you know, happy with how this five years has gone, but I feel like we've still got such a long way to go. Obviously now with coronavirus and everything, like financially, it's much tougher. Our model's really solid when we're really busy in making money because our impact is so tied into the business where every customer that comes in, the fact that they're buying their coffee from us helps us have our impact. And the more busy we are in terms of customers in the shop, the more pay it forwards are prepaid and donated the more hours we have available for our trainees and so now it's a bit of a challenge where it's obviously much quieter so how do we still make sure we have that impact and also you know we want to be growing as a business so how do we have more impact in a more challenging environment so uh, you know I'm, I'm confident that we're on the right path and although 2020 has been obviously really challenging it's been good for us as a business and we've hit some milestones which has been great but it's just about the extra two confidence that I'm missing, I think, is just that the uncertainty of what the world's going to be like in the next year and how do we navigate through that space and how do we change and adapt our model to make sure that we're still having impact, even if we're quieter as a business. At what point can you identify, looking back, were you like, this one, now it's definitely going to work. We're going to, you know, we found a way of making it work. This is the model for us. Probably two moments in the space of a day of each other when we first were opening Bethnal Green. One, we did a launch party at the shop where just invited all like friends, family and supporters and friends in the industry just to come down and celebrate that we're finally opening and it's great. And I remember sitting down with a guy called Harry Hurd who runs Clear Honest Design, which is um, a design agency that only works with social enterprises and they did our rebranding before we first launched because... Our initial logo was just terrible. It was uh, like a coffee stain with the word second shot in it, but also kind of looked like a bullet hole, which is not what you want with our name either. And it was just, you know, it was just done in 10 minutes or whatever. So yeah, they did that. And we were sitting down with him and just kind of looking at the space and be like, oh yeah, wow, it's this is a cafe now kind of thing. So that was a really lovely moment. And then second to that would be just our, our opening weekend, really where straight from the moment we opened, our opening weekend was super busy and it remained our busiest weekend for like our first six months or something. Um, and then straight away from day one, our pay it forward wall was full and people were feeding into the idea and, and you know, getting a bit of buzz in the area and stuff. And that for me was like, was it was a big moment to kind of look at the wall and be like, okay, this is something that people really do buy into. Yeah, it's it's a great wall actually. For those of you who haven't been down to the cafe, Julie, do you want to describe how it works? Yes, so our pet forward system, customers can come in store, but also now online as well on our website, and uh, prepay for a drink, a meal, or now it's colder as well, we do um, hot water bottles, and also at the moment, uh, face masks. And so people can prepay, and then we have, to the right of the till, like a tiled wall where once you've paid it forward you get a whiteboard pen you draw your coffee or you draw a message on there 
And then that wall kind of acts as like a visual menu for local rough sleepers who can come in anytime we're open, see what's available and then just get it free of charge. We try and subsidise the cost of that as much as possible. So pay it forward, coffee is only 150 and food um, is only £3. Also, people can pay it forward through our loyalty card as well. And that was super helpful when we first opened, where you can fill it all the way as normal and get a free drink for yourself if you like. But with our cards, they're perforated. So after half, you can use it as a pay it forward coffee, which you can either put on the wall or you can physically give it to somebody that you see. Or you can use the whole thing as a meal. So yeah, that's, the, that's how our kind of pay it forward system works. And I think what's nice is because of that, at Second Shot, you might have a queue of five or six people and one or two of them might be experiencing homelessness. And so you have that kind of social interaction within Second Shot that you don't really see outside. It's lovely. I think also when you go in, you can see these little messages people have written as well alongside, you know, I hate this brightens your day or something like that. It's, it's a lovely thing to be a part of. And um, yeah, really nice narrative that goes with it. Yeah, and then it's nice as well where you pay it forward, you draw on the wall and then you come back two days later and the drawing's gone, which means that someone's redeemed it so you can really kind of see the process in motion. It's great. I just love it. I think it's really good. And it's community focused as well because it's about, you know, it feels very directive, doesn't it? Like this is my regular coffee shop. I've brought my pay it forward and the next day it's gone by somebody who's obviously based around the same sort of area. Really, I really like it. This is a great question. It's our favourite, I think. It's what was the um, biggest facepalm moment? So that moment where you, you think, I wish I wish we hadn't done that or I wish we'd thought about that a little bit better. This is also an easy one. So it was our first Christmas and what we wanted to do is put on like a big Christmas meal so that, you know, local sleepers could come in, have a Christmas meal. But it wasn't very well organised. I, I was living, my best mate is a chef and he cooked all the food at, at ours just ubered it down food was actually amazing i didn't do the organization well enough uh, picking the best day advertising it correctly getting other people on board to help promote it and make sure that people knew that this was something that was happening and the times and everything and so yeah we put in loads of work we were there ready and just no one came in that was heartbreaking we had a couple of people come in and it was still nice sat down had like christmas meal together and stuff it was just that's where i think in general, in social enterprise, the nice idea isn't enough. You need to do all of that other stuff to make sure that it's successful, which I didn't do the first year. So that was sad. And then it was kind of a scramble to kind of find somewhere where we could donate all of this food, which we did, which was cool. But then it happened to be a super stormy, windy, horrible night as well. And just as we were getting ready to call it a day and pack up, our door flew off and smashed everywhere. <laughs> And it was like, a, it's, a, it's a glass door, it's just glass everywhere. And this is, by the way, the 23rd of December. And so then my Christmas was spent trying not to get screwed over by people charging three times as much to fix a door at Christmas. Fantastic. I love it. it this has been a common theme in our podcast. It's really interesting, Julius, that you mentioned about the um, yeah the door incident and and the sort of planning that need you know was needed for that it's, it's been quite a common theme in other other interviews that we've had on the podcast hasn't it Murphy around yes. that, yeah it's been a great question um the uh you know Meg from Fat Macy's for example talked about an oven that she brought randomly to run an event which then she was stuck with at two o'clock in the morning and um there are all these things that sort of come up that people are yeah it's it's brilliant so a great answer though well done so another face moment that I've got is actually with Fat Macy's 
So in, I don't know, we'd been open a couple of months and I had a few meetings at the shop. First one, I wanted to get a bunch of shelves designed and made. So the guy comes in, just gets straight to it, walking around, showing him like, this is what I want, this is the size, this is what is going to be on the shelf here, this is what I want over here, this can't be too wide, blah, blah, blah. And then after about 20 minutes of me just nonstop talking about dimensions and whatever, it's like, okay, I think this isn't for me. I don't build anything. I'm from Fat Macy's. And it was one of the guys from Fat Macy's like, oh, no. <laughs> that is brilliant. I love that. Then there's nothing you can say, isn't it? Okay, well, just forget that half an hour. Let's, what, what are we talking about? Fantastic. <laughs> that's funny, yeah. It sounds like a social entrepreneur to me because you're so fixated on what it is that I've got in my mind we need to get done today or, you know, that task. That, yeah, I think that's, yeah. Julius, you mentioned the logo earlier on and getting someone to come in and sort of fix the, the original one and also learning about prepping with PR and getting the message out and working with other organisations perhaps to really make sure that you're getting the right referrals. What would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned throughout this journey? I would say probably for me the biggest lesson is I'm quite one-track minded and at the beginning, I think maybe just because as well it was so difficult, like it took a year and a half and felt kind of isolating to to open once we're open I was kind of like I don't need anybody else I'm gonna do all of the xyz whereas now I feel like my biggest continued learning is to be able to either take a step back or get people to do I'm not the expert on anything so other people are and just trying to find the best way of making sure that my vision is still being achieved but it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to do everything Great answer. It's really good. Just following along that line, Julius, in the, some of the update information you sent across before the podcast, you mentioned that you're sort of moving away from, I wouldn't say less, you, you're sort of moving away from being so operational. Have you found that really difficult? What, what's that process been like for you? Because this is really common with a lot of social entrepreneurs. Getting off the front line is sometimes sort of, is, is impossible. People can't do it. Yeah, yes and no, in terms of has it been difficult? No, in the sense that when we opened up the second shop last year in Church Street, Marleybone, from that point onwards, Bethnal Green basically ran itself and I've got an amazing manager, Sam, who runs the shop. And so I'm, I was comfortable with the idea of stepping away and everything still working. For me, it was one, when's the right timing where it makes financial sense for me to step away and pay somebody to do the hours that I was doing. So I've now been not working barista shifts and just stopping working in the business and trying to start working on the business. And I've been doing that now for probably five weeks. I was really excited because I'm gaining 50 extra hours a week of not work, you know, that I would usually be working in the shops. And so I thought what I'll do is I'll transfer that 50 hours of potential productivity that I have been using in the shops and next week I will be putting that all in from working from home in a seamless transition but it has been like a real challenge because it's completely different. So yeah I think the first few weeks for me was trying to get used to arranging my schedule in a different way. I now totally understand why everyone's been complaining about working from home in coronavirus because it's so boring (laughs) to just sit there for hours and try and keep motivated. We are going to be opening a third site. And for me, that was the the kind of target of this. That would be the time to kind of step away 
where what we've done is hired a head of operations, Sergio, who's doing amazing, and he runs the physical locations, whereas I work on kind of overall strategy and financials for the business. That's working really well. Fantastic. Follow on question for me, really, and I think this is something that we should focus on just for a few few minutes if we can, is around that engagement with the homeless sector and homeless individuals. What's that process been like? Did, has, have you found that more difficult than you thought you might have done? Or, yeah, what, what's your experience been on, on that front? It's something that we need to get better at. This is part of my kind of focus now. Because the way that we usually work is we get referrals from our charity partners when we're ready to recruit our trainees. And then we'll maintain that relationship or they'll maintain that relationship with our trainees as they work with us so that the support and everything is still available. And we have some local partners where, you know, whenever we do like a clothing drive, places that we can donate our either clothes or food or anything else that we have. We always look to collaborate with local organisations. So there's a couple of schools as well that we've done some really nice projects with. But I think where we've fallen down is that it's always quite ad hoc and not with much strategy behind it, which is what I want to improve on now. And what would be better is to have that constant engagement throughout the year of working with different organisations and having kind of a better, I guess, pool of knowledge of knowing that when a rough sleeper comes in, these are the organisations locally that we can point them towards, or these are other ways maybe that we can support in addition to just giving coffees, meals and face masks and things. That's a really interesting point and great question, Simon. I think that's definitely something that more conversations are happening about. You mentioned earlier, Julius, not wanting to be an expert in everything, and there's other people that that's their expertise and, and you know, when to harness that knowledge. And I think that that's relevant in these cases where, you know, you've got this amazing business model, really exciting venture, and that has a huge amount of social impact as well, both with the training opportunities and with the pay it forward schemes. There's lots of areas that you're creating value in and actually having those other organizations to signpost to for that other support that there is there in other ones and that's a great notion and it's also been really you know super helpful and crucial for us our trainees are full-time employees full-time hours full-time pay and so that can sometimes be quite a difficult relationship to manage where you know I'm their boss but also the business exists to help them but also we want to have like a relaxed friendly environment never want to be comfortable but that can be a bit of a challenge where if there is an issue either with work or even outside of work it's not the right relationship to solve that kind of thing if that makes sense so what we make sure is that um the charity partner that does the referral still maintains that contact so there's still additional support from like you said people with better expertise than me so that our trainees are still supported another thing i'd like to ask you if that's all right julius is around um sort of you've come on quite a journey it feels like you've you know from everything you've told me it feels like a you know you've really learned fast as you've gone along and you've really been you know it's clear you've worked really hard to get to this point if you were to roll back five years and then meet Julius of five years ago what would you tell him other than perhaps not do this what would you tell Julius of five years ago knowing what you know now I would say why the hell are you level 10 confident (laughs) (laughs) notch that down a bit I knew that because I didn't have experience I was going to make mistakes but I could have reached out to people with more experience and learned more earlier to make less mistakes and I think as well 
In the beginning, it was all really fun. And my mindset was less thinking about it as a malleable entity that you work on and it grows in different areas. I was more, I would say, reactive. I would advise myself to plan harder, get more advice and try and think longer term. That's really interesting. I think there's several times throughout this um, session, actually, you've commented on the the use of network and reining in the expertise of those around you. There's lots of enterprises working in homelessness that have involved coffee in their way of making social impact. And you've done things in some ways similar, in some ways quite different. What was your thoughts around sort of doing things differently, about your experience of taking advice? The concept was always that I never wanted Second Shop to be a charity cafe because there's the misconception, although sometimes true, that when it comes to hospitality and, and impact, that if you're having impact, then it's going to come at the cost of quality. And so I really wanted to get rid of that. And in terms of wanting to do things differently, that was a big thing for me to make sure that our product and service stand alone as really good quality. And for that reason, like when we started off, we didn't shout too much about what we were doing. And it wasn't that obvious in, in store because I always felt that you'll get a few pity purchases and people might come once or twice because they like what you do but you can't have a sustainable business just running off that you like people need to be coming back four or five times a week and become regulars because they actually enjoy the product as well yeah great answer uh, so julius it's been great to have you on the on the podcast today i love your energy enthusiasm for what you're doing it's great so what's next you, you mentioned the next shop um, what else? How can how can we support Second Shot? Get involved with what you're doing. A few things. So we just relaunched our website, so that's something nice. And we've launched our as part of our kind of pandemic response. Realised that we need to be able to um, pivot a bit and have more of an online presence. So it's one of those kind of projects that had been on the back burner for me for a while, but that kind of break allowed me to focus on it. Which is that we now have our own beans called From the Ground Up. It's our kind of Second Shot blend. So it's a Ethiopian Brazilian blend which you can buy in store or online. Um, and you can also subscribe and save. So get the coffee uh, delivered to your house automatically, either weekly, fortnightly or monthly. And as well as that, we will be soon opening our third shop in King's Cross. So that's exciting. So keep, on, keep an eye out on our socials for updates. Um, sign up to our newsletter and uh, yeah, just reach out, get involved, come grab a coffee. Brilliant. And, and what's your Twitter handle and Instagram and things so people like, want to have a look? Instagram and Facebook, we're Second Shot Coffee. Twitter, we're Second Shot Cafe because coffee is too many characters. One final question from us, Julius, before you head off. Social enterprise, homelessness, lots of things going on, lots of exciting projects, including what you guys are doing. Is there any other social entrepreneur or social enterprise that you've seen starting up that you're really excited about? This is actually a bit controversial. But I think one of the best social enterprises is just giving. Because I really like solutions where you make it as easy as possible for people to have impact. Like for us, you just you slightly change your morning routine maybe by coming to Second Shot rather than going somewhere else. But your actual routine of you go and you get a coffee and boom, you're having impact. I find that can be quite impactful where in that way, every business can be a social enterprise and have impact. And as a society, change our thought process where you have not-for-profit businesses and social enterprises, but it should be the opposite way around where we should be talking about solely profit businesses as the outliers and everyone else is also having impact. And so, yeah, that's why I think just giving where they, you know, the amount of funds that they've been able to get to good causes by just existing as a business. 
Thanks to Julius for joining us today on This Much We Know. Next episode, we're going to be joined by Christy Acton, social entrepreneur and founder of Standing Tool, the Birmingham-based social enterprise. So please subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Twitter at thismuch underscore we know. Also, a big thanks to Neil Whiteside at Freedom One for the production. Until next time, from Simon and me, thank you for listening and goodbye.